you have your Bibles there now, let's go to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. There's a bunch of books at the back, little tiny booklets. That You are welcome to take some of those and give them away this Christmas. That's what we want you to do. There's invitations back there for the Christmas banquet. We want you to take those and give them away. There's all kinds of little booklets back there off to the, to the side there, to my left, your right. There's a whole bunch of booklets that deal with various topics. And there's all kinds of things that you can use back there, Gospels of John, things that you can use. And because our theme this year is we want to have a very different Christmas. I'm going to preach to you this week. Brother Steve is going to do next week. Brother Jeff the week after that. Brother Paul the week after that. And I'm going to bring it all together at Christmas Eve on our Christmas Eve service that we have in the evening of the 24th. Brother Daniel will then preach on our last Sunday of December. But the whole thing is about having a very different Christmas. We don't want to have just the same Christmas over and over again. In fact, there's a cliche that we say the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. So we want to somehow figure out a way to have a, a different Christmas. And so I start by saying that in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25, we are presented with the fact that God's gift to you this Christmas is a unique baby. Can you believe, as I stand here before you, do you realize it is December the 3rd in about 33 days, Debbie and I will have been here with you for three years. Our third anniversary comes up in just over 30 days. That's how quickly time just clicks by. The older I get, the faster time goes. Three years. It's Christmas of 2017. Debbie and I were out buying a few little gifts, and this year was a new experience because we got to buy gifts for a grandbaby. And so we were looking for a grandbaby's first Christmas ornament, and we found these little baby boots with little things on it. And because it's blue, Debbie tells me it's masculine because it looked very dainty and porcelain-like for me, but it was, it was supposedly manly, so I, I believe her. And uh, it's my 45th Christmas celebration. Because I'm 45. And I've been through a lot in that time of ups and downs. Christmases that I want to stay in my mind and remember them for the rest of my life. And I'll be honest, some Christmases that I just soon forget. How about you? How about you this morning? What is Christmas like for you? Let me ask you this. One thing I've noticed about myself is that one question that you're asked that I want to ask you is, what kind of Christmas planner are you? Now, we've, I think it's pretty well known after three years that Debbie is the Christmas planner and I am the Christmas participator, okay? Uh, I'm not one of a Christmas planner. I'm very poor at Christmas planning. And I think that comes a little bit from my personality because I live in the present. I, I live in the moment and Maybe, though, the other part of why I'm a poor Christmas planner, and I hate to admit this to you this morning, is maybe I'm just a little selfish. I'm a little selfish because I like to put things off to the last minute, and I then run out and I try to capture my heart. I try to capture the heart of those I love into some absolutely incredible gift that I buy at 345 on December 24th. And you know how well that goes, I'm sure. But what is Christmas like for you? I mean, really, deep down, is it 
the best season of all. You know that, that old Christmas song that you heard? I heard it the other day as I was walking through. The, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Are you one of those people that you're just, the smells of the decorations, the music, the family gatherings, the parties, the plays, the concert, the, they just light your fire. They rev your engine. But for some of you maybe here, and I know of others, <laughs> the idea of a family gathering is hoped for like one hopes for a root canal. In fact, some people are anticipating family gathering of Christmas 2017 like some people plan a, a gathering of the UN. We're going to have the nations here and can we have just enough diplomacy to get us through the season? For others of you, the frantic pace of Christmas is both exciting and dreading. Family expectations, the endless lists of places to be, folks to see, events to schedule. But then there's the people that we often don't think about or talk about, but we all kind of are aware of. Often at Christmas, we don't know what to do with these people. They're the people that for Christmas is a hurting time. It's a disappointment. Some of the people will find straight up see the emptiness of Christmas. I spent some time in the mall yesterday and I watched people. Charles Spurgeon got me onto this. Talks about in his, lecture, in his book, Lectures to My Students, that he would often go to public places and he would just watch people and he learned more about how to preach the gospel by simply watching the faces of people. And when you go to the mall that's all decorated for Christmas and the music is pounded out and all the glitter and gold that's there is every, sim every single store has its way of marketing its merchandise and telling you that if you own it, your life will be complete or it's the perfect gift and all these different types of things. And yet you look into the faces of some people and you see emptiness. If you visit a food bank over the next four weeks, you're going to find the lines are longer. Soup kitchens are busier. You're going to see at the mall faces of people who've had the innocence of Christmas long taken away from them. Maybe you know of someone who's experienced the loss of family members. They've been abused. Tragic failure they could never recover from. Charles Dickens truly does have it right, doesn't he? It is the best of times. It is the worst of times. That is Christmas. See, this Christmas, for some of you, might be the first Christmas that you celebrate without a loved one. And that's true of some people in this church. This Christmas might be the best one you've ever anticipated. And this one might be the one you just like to skip altogether. You just don't know yet. You see, then for some of us, like me, I'm in this camp We've built it up. We've planned and checked our list. I have done more planning this year because Brandon and his new bride that I've never met and our firstborn grandson that I've never met are all coming back on Christmas Eve. And I have played this out. I've, I've orchestrated and rehearsed how that gathering is going to be. And our middle son will be with us. And a whole family will be here. And we'll go to Debbie's parents. And, and I've rehearsed it how I want it to go. And yet I'm afraid that it's going to go like home alone. It's just going to crash and burn. See, for some of us, Christmas, no matter how hard we try, just won't live up to our expectations. So let me ask this. What are you hoping for this Christmas? Now let me switch gears for you just a little bit for a few moments as we come to the table of the Lord. What about, because there's one thing I haven't talked about yet, and that is the presents. Oh, the presents. We love the presents, don't we? 
Come on, be honest. We love the presents. We love those. We love those surprise presents when someone gives you something that you weren't expecting or someone just lays that on you and you were like, really, you thought, I I mentioned that a year ago and you remembered all year. And for some of you, there's the presents that you dropped a hint all year and then you act surprised when you get it, right? Yeah, some of you are laughing going, "Uh uh-oh, somebody's been talking, right? Or some of you just went, oh, well, I'll go out and buy my own present, wrap it and put it on and act surprised when I open it from the family. Right? But we love the presence. We love to watch the reaction of kids. Some of you are here have young children, and you know that your kids are counting the days, the hours, the <coughs> minutes to Christmas, and you long for and can't wait to get up and watch them rip open those, the, the wrapping paper and look at those presents. And yet, we also find that some kids don't necessarily react the way we want them to react to the presents. Just watch America's Funniest Home Videos. They're full <coughs> of videos like that. Or you've lived through this experience like we have with three kids that are now grown where we put all kinds of money and energy into buying a gift. We give it to them. They take it out. They look at it. And then two hours later, they're playing with the box that the gift actually came in, not with the gift you gave them. Yet, have you ever thought about what we've made of Christmas? That's why we showed you the two videos from Paul Tripp the way we wanted to set it up and the way I wanted this sermon to go as we come to the table of the Lord, John Calvin said, for what is idolatry if it is not this? To worship the gifts in place of the giver himself. Can we not be tempted or guilty of doing that? B.J. Thompson tragically describes way too much of modern Christianity. I saw this this week on Twitter. Walmart Christianity equals faith massively produced but cheaply made. I mean, sometimes when it's right, it's just right, isn't it? Faith massively produced but cheaply made. But what if this year we went to see Christmas from a very different perspective? What if we were finally a little tired of the cheap nostalgia, the needless familiarity. What if on this Christmas of 2017, as we've watched the opening video, and we watched this little uh, video before I preach, as we listen to Jasmine read about the Advent candle, and we plan to celebrate communion, that we truly want to start to go back to renew our faith or to deepen it this Christmas, how would or could we even do that? And for starters, why not right now? As December just starts, ask God to help you in private contemplative prayer of your heart right now and just say, Lord, would you help me wonder at what it is we are celebrating once again? Would you give me that childlike awe? When I was in the mall, there's two things that you see, right? There's a display for Santa Claus, and then on the opposite hall, there's a, the happy tree. And we were down down that area because we were buying some Christmas ornaments and somebody was working the, the happy tree and you could see the kids that were a little older and this was not their first time to the happy tree and so they came with an agenda. They knew what to expect. They came with rehearsed questions. In fact, some of these kids you could see were evil enough that they were trying to trick the happy tree dude, whoever he or she was in there and to get them to say something. But then you'd see the occasional parent that would come with a little baby or a little toddler and it was their first time that they'd ever seen that a tree with big eyeballs talk 
and just the absolute expression on their face. Now, one of those people was Paul. I saw Paul Winger there, and he was just awestruck at the happy tree. <laughs> and, uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm joking. I did look over and see Paul there, and he was quite enraptured with the happy tree. But I want us to be in wonder of what it is we are celebrating. What it is that we claim to believe and trust in. Would you take some time right now to meditate on the truths that make Christmas so much more than a holiday season? Do you realize what we call Christmas? Christmas is part one of a two-part event that changed human history. Part one is Jesus comes in the flesh. Part two is Jesus is going to rise from the dead. But how do we recapture this? This Christmas, as we look deeply into the birth, the life, and death, and resurrection of Jesus, how do we begin? So I want to take us somewhere. What if this year and all this month, every Sunday of this month, we were to go, ready for this? Let's go celebrate Christmas to the throne room of heaven. Let's go to heaven and sit in on Christmas morning there. What would that Christmas be like? I'm sure it might be very different from what we might think it would be. My friend Kevin DeYoung pointedly put it like this. What accounts for your interest in Jesus? Many, many people are interested in Jesus because of the benefits they can get from Jesus. That's what we've heard about. There are many popular preachers who basically preach a message that says, Jesus has power for you. Jesus can do amazing things for you. Jesus believes in you. Believe in Jesus. Believe in yourself. And look at all the amazing things that will happen. And, of course, listen, there's some truth in that. God, Jesus, does have power. He does do amazing things. It's not all quite that simple, though. Time and again, we see people are fascinated with the pointers, and they miss the point. So this Christmas, don't miss the point. Let's not let the massive giant of commercialism drown out the majesty and splendor of the hope that Jesus offers and is coming to us. No, rather, imagine with me what it would be like to sit in heaven's throne room and listen to the Trinity celebrate Christmas. You see, there would no be no need for you to have your iPad hooked up or your Apple Music going or to, or to have the decorations because Revelation tells us what the throne room of God is like. In Revelation 4, 2 to 6, listen to these words. I at once in the, was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven. With one seated on the throne, and he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and a carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. And around the throne were 24 thrones. And seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments and with golden crowns on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass. And it was like crystal. And then you go over a chapter more to Revelation chapter 5 or 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, John says, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. 
with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the four elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from God, from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Huh. Imagine going to that room for Christmas. So this Christmas... Let us visit this throne room and journey with me and the elders of Calvary as we each week will sit in and watch Christmas unfold in heaven. We'll see how the God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit celebrate what gifts they exchange and what might shock you and I. As we're going to be there too and, and we'll get to more to watch and be involved in this gift exchange. Yes, that's right. You and I are going to give something too. But today, on our very different Christmas, let's go to Matthew 1. Matthew 1, as we go into the throne room, it is Christmas morning. The Trinity is gathered, and you and I are there. And here's what we read about as the angel comes and says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ, Matthew 1.18, took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, who she was engaged to, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. It was scandalous. They were engaged in Jewish culture. That was married, but she's pregnant. If Joseph's not the father, you have one of two options. She has cheated on him. Or she's pregnant supernaturally. How, how do you tell anybody that? But notice, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And this is what the angel says. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you, you son of David, shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. And all this, now Matthew steps back and says, all this took place what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And he quotes in Isaiah, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so it's Christmas morning, 2017, in the throne room of God, and the Trinity sit in perfect harmony, and they plan creation and humanity and the culmination of their glory to be displayed, and God the Father goes first and extends His gift, a unique baby, a unique baby. If you take notes, God gifts Jesus to us to identify with us. 
As we come to the table of the Lord, this says that Jesus identifies. In other words, God come came to us. We didn't go to him. We were not even looking for him. Now, I get it. We all have a God-shaped void in our hearts, and it's only that something that God can fill, and yet we are trying to fill it all the time. But you know what? The Word of God tells us that God came to us. We didn't go to Him. Here's the bad news. In Psalm chapter 14, verses 1 to 3, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there was any who would understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside together. They have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. That's everybody in here. Don't think you're reading about somebody else. This is about you and I. God gifts Jesus to us to identify with us. And this must have been important because the psalmist says these exact words again in Psalm 53. And Paul takes them up in Romans chapter 3. And so now I get it. It's hard for us to understand this. It's hard for us to admit this because we've heard about Christmas or God or Jesus, most of you from, the, from birth. You've heard about this all your life. And you're like, Steve, listen, I've believed in God all my life. <laughs> no, 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 no. Nobody was looking for God. God came looking for us. Again, Kevin DeYoung makes this so clear and simple. If there's one thing... God knows for certain it is what's going on inside of me and inside of you. We need to understand that. But here in the throne room of God, God the Father looks at you and I as we sit there in the living room of heaven. And instead of passing his gift to the Son or to the Spirit, he looks at you and I and he says, this is for you. The first gift given is from God the Father, and it's given to you and I. We were just casual witnesses. We were just there, and we're brought right into it. And what would that be like? What, what would you expect God to give you if you were there? What would you if, have or ask for if you could have anything you wanted? Ask children that. Ask someone, what would you like for Christmas? Have you ever asked that to somebody already this year? What would you like? I had to call my parents this week and ask them. They live away, and I need to plan for that. And so I said, called up mom and dad and said, what would you like for Christmas? You'll never guess what kind of an answer I got. Oh, you know, we just want your love, and we, you know, we, we, we have everything, and, and, da, da, da. and I'm like, okay. And then my mom's, but since you're asking, <laughs> right? And then I got a list of about 25 items. Some will burn it right out. What do you want for Christmas? Diamond ring. What do you want for Christmas? New car. Some will hold back and say, oh, I don't need anything. Which is more often than not, not the truth, right? But in the deep quietness of our hearts, in the longings and our hopings, many reasons come before us as to something we would want. How many of you might say in the quietness of your heart, if I could have everything, anything I wanted, Oh, that I could have peace. Oh, that I could just have peace. Peace in my own life or peace in the lives of my family. Peace in the church. Peace in the world. How many people would say, oh, Pastor Steve, could I, could I just have some belonging? Could I feel like I belong or could I really know what it means to feel contentment? How many young people would like to just be safe? How many people would like security or how many people even in this room would say, oh, what I would give to have family? 
How about love or acceptance or freedom from fear? How many of you, if somebody said to you, I'll give you anything you want for Christmas, and you would say, oh, that I could just have this one wrong righted. If I could just have this one mistake washed away or rubbed out. If I could have just that past failure corrected, that hurtful word forgotten or taken back. But God the Father in the throne room of heaven looks at you and I and says, I know exactly what you need and I'll give him to you, a baby. A unique, one of a kind, never before and never again baby. It's the gift of his son, Jesus Emmanuel. Look at our passage in Matthew 1 when the angel says, and you will call his name Jesus. Jesus. Why? Because he'll save his people from their sin. And don't be afraid, Joseph, because that which is conceived in Mary is conceived supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. And you're going to give him a God-given name. And that means something for all of us. You see, God giving us Jesus gives you and I true clarity today. We can have clarity this Christmas. On the 17th, of this month at our Christmas banquet, our, our music team is going to sing one of these songs. It's called Mary Did You Know. Mary Did You Know, it's a beautiful song to consider because I actually think it lays out the struggle to comprehend the majesty of God. Have you not just in this last year had some opportunity to look at a beautiful sunset? Have you not gone out to Topsail Beach and just watched the sun set on the back of Belle Island as the whales crest the, the ocean and the wind blows so gently and you're just there and you're like, this is what it's like to be a Newfoundlander. Amen. Yeah, right? Have you ever looked at a moving display of the stars in the sky? Have you watched those waves roar at Cape Spear or listened to a symphony play? This coming week I get to go to hear Handel's Messiah. Brother Dave will play the violin in that down at, at the Basilica. I can't wait to do that and hear and all of the emotions as the people sing and the orchestra plays. And, and I know what I'm like. I'm an emotional person. I'll have an emotional response. And when they get to that hallelujah chorus, I want to stand up and sing with all of my might. And all this. Have you ever had all these things when all of these things are happening only to have the phone ring or a kid cries I've tried to go out to Cape Spear with my family and I'm looking at this beautiful landscape and all of a sudden dad Brandon punched me and all of a sudden all the beauty in the world is just taken away then there's the struggle as we enjoy and look at the things to wonder, is God out there? Is anyone out there? Is something bigger than me? What's all this mean anyway? And then God says, here, I give you Jesus, a completely vulnerable, completely open, completely dependent baby. But he named the stars. He named the stars. Yes, Jesus comes to us to show us God himself. As humanity guesses and creates its own version of God, God comes and says, here I am and I came for you. No more guessing, no more longing. The pages of the Bible tell us who God is, who Jesus is, who the Spirit is, who we are, what we need and how God and only God can give it to us. But secondly, God's gift of Emmanuel means there's eternity. It means there's eternity. As I said last week, we are all aware of our mortality but also our immortality. But here's the question. What is eternal life and what will it truly be like? 
And so God the Father says, here's my gift to you. It's, it's a unique baby, and no matter what this Christmas will be like, if you're looking to family, they fail. Family, leave. The truth is, family, die. I found my wedding album the other day, and I was flipping through the pages of my wedding album, and I came across a picture of me with a whole host of my extended family. And as I looked at that page, all of a sudden I realized of everybody in that page, I'm the only one still alive. Everybody else on the page has passed away. All my grandparents, all of the aunts and uncles that are there, about nine people and me and eight of them have passed away in the last 25 years of my life. So if you're looking to family, family things. If you're looking for a gift, it will last. It will not last. It'll, it'll fail. It'll break down. If you're looking for a feeling, it will flee. Jean-Paul Satire said, there comes a time when one asks even of Shakespeare or Beethoven, is this all there is? But God gives us Jesus to tell us that there's more to life than just life. That eternity is not only real, but it's to be embraced in Jesus. Don't live for the temporary. Live for the eternal. But that angel told Joseph something else, didn't, didn't he? God's gift of Emmanuel means we have dignity. Church, listen, on this Sunday, on this Christmas, if you want Christmas to be different this year, remember what we are, who we are. We are simply, are we simply animals at the top of the food chain? Is Darwin truly right that it's survival of the fittest and nothing more? But you see, God's gift of Jesus says, no, that's not right. The fact that God the Father would gift us His Son, the one and only perfect and holy in every way, is proof of our dignity as those made in His image, that Jesus would come to us to like one of us. <laughs> Brandon Manning said this, Our identity rests in God's relentless tenderness for us revealed in Jesus Christ. He shall save His people. Nobody is nobody to God. We all matter. We're precious in His sight. In fact, you're so precious, so incredibly dignified that God sent His Son to us so that we could see and experience the glory of God in ways not possible. And so finally, God's gift of Emmanuel means we are loved. Oh, church, get this this Christmas. Because getting this will help you prioritize. Getting the fact that you're loved by God will help you put the right priorities where they need to be. It'll help uh, alleviate your stress. It will calm you down. See, what love is this that, would God give, that God would give us himself? And this all happened according to Matthew 1. According to the prophet, a virgin shall conceive and give a son. His name shall be called Emmanuel, which is God with us, that Jesus would give up everything so that you and I could have him. Jesus left the throne of heaven so that you and I could have him. What would you do for someone whom you loved? Now, I've talked about Brandon and Jordan and Abby. Well, there's one thing I've learned about being a parent is that love drives me. I, I don't know if I shared you this with this, but my life, I wish I had the time this morning because I can't because we've got to do the table of the Lord. When Debbie told me she was pregnant with Brandon, I, I was so overwhelmed. I, I, I did never believe that we could be parents. And some things happened in my life. Quite frankly, I had a bad view of God, and I actually thought I would never have God's blessing in my life. And so when Brandon was first given to me and I had this little precious little bundle of joy in my arms, I just thought, man, I love this little boy. And then when Debbie came to me a couple years later and said she was pregnant again, 
You would think I would have rejoiced and stuff, but I honestly, this is what I said to Debbie when she told me, what are we going to do? Because I love Brandon. I don't, I don't think I'm going to love the next one. I, lo- I love Brad. Like, I couldn't possibly imagine what it would be like. I, I felt so much emotion towards this, this one. I thought, there's no way. And honestly, for, for nine months, I was terrified that I would never love the second one the way I loved the first one until they passed me Jordan. And then I instantly knew what it was like to love equally two different people and how your love just just breaks apart and multiplies. And then it happens over and over again. And I sacrifice, and it hurts, and I struggle when my kids can't see how much I love them and how desperately I want them to see, save them from the ill effects of wrong decisions. And so often, my kids can even rebuff my love, but I keep on loving them. I love them to correct them. I love them to give away what's mine to them. I love them to say no to them. I love them to long to say yes to the right requests. Yet how much more does God love you and I? Because at my best, I'm still a flawed sinner trying to love. But God loves you and I. God gave himself in the form of his son, Jesus Christ, to save us from our sin. God the Father didn't give us a thing but a person. Jesus comes to give us clarity about life, and it's eternal. He comes to give us dignity and value and purpose. He comes to show us and give us love, love on a cross and love at a cost. Love that will change us and forgive us and transform us. And when you know Jesus more than in knowledge, but by experience and truth, then you'll respond like Joseph did in our passage. If you read the next verse after 25, it says, Joseph awoke and he did what the angel of the Lord told him because he knew what it was to be loved. The question will remain always. Here it is. Here's the question. Will you accept this gift from God as Father today this Christmas? Will you accept it? You make a decision to accept or reject We've had a couple of videos from Paul Tripp. Let me tell you again what he says. Here's the deal. You were either joyfully surrendering to the king of kings or you're working hard to set yourself up as king. Which one are you? God steps forward and extends his gift to humanity, to you and I in the person of his son, Emmanuel, God with us to save us from our sin, to offer us eternal life with God as father, to restore our dignity and honor of our original intent created in the image of God to glorify him and enjoy him for eternity. So this Christmas church, step back and breathe. Consider what the reason for the season truly is. Think of our first Advent candle was for hope. But what or who are you hoping in and for this Christmas? Think of the songs we've sung, the things we've prayed and listened to. Now we come to the table of the Lord and this table says that Christmas was successful. That the incarnation indeed went all the way to the crucifixion which led to the resurrection and now we long for the culmination when Jesus returns. So church, don't waste Christmas this year. Rejoice. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity to share your word briefly and to call us to the table of the Lord. And now, Lord, as we do, oh God, stir our hearts that makes this communion different. I pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said.